right, y'all. Welcome to the pod. Uh, thank you so much for everyone who has already reached out after episode one. It was a great time talking to my dad. Uh, if you, this is the first episode you're watching, go back and listen to it. Lots of crazy stories about being a valet, almost running over celebrities, all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, my guest this week is a longtime friend. 20 years this month, we've known each other. Uh, a pledge brother, best friend. Uh, all around smart guy, always been smarter than me, uh, especially in things that are necessary to survival either now or if everything goes to crap, he's going to definitely know uh, how to uh, be ready for the apocalypse way better than I am. It's my very good friend, ladies and gentlemen, James Girani. What's going on, man? Like not much, man. This is this is pretty awesome. Thanks for thanks for having me on. When I said in the intro that you've always been smarter than me, uh, I I really do mean that. Uh, and it's it, it's because you have been more thoughtful in a lot of uh, ways, but uh, in, in particular, you know. You have always been way more into computers, technology. You know. Um, I didn't know about Bitcoin until you started talking about it and talking about mining it. Uh, and you were already making the kind of money that I was hoping to make. Like it, it took me, I think 10 years after graduating to even get close to where uh, you were in terms of where you were before even graduating college. Right. So uh, I guess uh, what is the thing that got you interested first and foremost in computers and how do you think for parents who, who maybe aren't as tech savvy or aren't into the tech world, how do you think they can create those opportunities now for their kids? Because, you know, there's so much concern over, you know, exposure to devices and things like that. In your perspective, what's the, a good approach to getting kids into technology? Because obviously it's going to be part of their future. It's part of our present, you know, what it entails for the future remains to be seen so um the thing that really kind of got me started was i was i mean i was a, a pretty challenging kid um my parents uh i mean they they were they were the ones who had to hide the screwdrivers um i put it together at a real early age wait and, hide the screwdriver i um, mean more more clarity because uh, that could take different meanings you know <laughs> So, I mean, okay, so we, we had this VCR, and I'm probably dating, dating us in this, but um, this was before things had remote controls. And so this VCR came with a remote control, but it was on this really long cord. So you could sit on the couch, and you had a cord connected to the VCR so you could fucking, you know, play yeah, it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, I, I had put it together that there was these little plus signs on the sides mm -hmm. of it. And then I had seen the screwdriver and I had noticed that it would fit. And so I was like, I wonder what it looks like inside. And so I'm going to start taking it apart and just remember where the screws go. You know, set these over here and these over here. Oh, I got this, right? Oh, oh, there's another layer. Okay, well, let's start on that. And then, oh, oops, I just knocked all the screws together. <laughs> and so I, I walk into my dad's room with three pieces that used to be a VCR and I set it down on the bed and I go, Hey, Dad, can you help me figure out how to put this back together? And he looks at me and he goes, I've never seen it together in the first place. 
I've never opened the VCR up to know what this is supposed to look like. Why would you take it apart? And so that was probably the beginning of what ended up being uh, a lifetime of why would you do that? <laughs> um, oh, that so uh, 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 the arc of your life, or at least your childhood, that would be the family T-shirt uh, for you. Like, it would be why, why would you? Would you okay, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I'm I'm betting your uh, soon-to-be wife is going to uh, ask that question a lot, uh, quite a bit too. <laughs> I've actually got I've got I've got another one that's that's absolutely worthy of telling. Um, so back in the day, phones weren't portable. You had this wire that was super long that, you know, traditionally it was the kitchen one and they run to the next room and it's like a 40 foot cord, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we got one of like the first uh, portable phones that had come out and this damn thing had caller ID on it. Already? Yes. What year is this? Um, God. Okay. So I am, I'm probably 12. So okay, so 96, 90... Somewhere back there. 97, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, man, that battery just would not last. This is a $350 phone, and this battery lasts maybe 20 minutes. Okay. And so, what, Who are you calling in, uh, talking to for 20 minutes? Man, I, I am a popular little kid in elementary school. <laughs> Oh yeah. Back then, remember uh, yeah. we all talked on the phone. Yeah, right? popular kid. Uh huh. Popular kid in elementary school. Okay, not popular. Okay, uh, but remember that's how we all used to communicate because now they text each other, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and you had like getting the number uh, in certain cases was a, a difficult pursuit. That's true. Yeah. You know? Uh, but that that's uh, neither here nor there. Okay, so you have this portable phone. You're so, you know with the the caller ID, the the whole all the bells and whistles of the day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it goes to die, and I'm like, okay, well, you know what? And I look at the bottom, and I see these electrodes, right? And I'm like, you know, I th I think I can solve this. I know this problem. So I I take this. Uh, I had this Jeep radio, and and. Remember, at the time, they were also making it to where things had batteries or you could plug it in. Mm -hmm. so you could just unplug it and it'll use the batteries. Right? Mm -hmm. So I had taken the cord out and there's two holes in the bottom of it. And I was like, okay. And then I had some RCA cables that looked like I could fit them in those holes. So I popped those in, touch them together. It sparks like a, like a, like a car, uh, like one of those jump starting kits, right? Mm -hmm. So I touch it to the bottom of the phone. And what do you think happens? You blow the phone up worked the phone charge wait you and you're 12 years old and you're just figuring out how to rewire your your home phone no i, I sent electricity into the bottom of the phone <laughs> from the wall outlet directly um, yeah how did your parents react to uh this also, marvel also they they it was it was okay for a second because remember i you know it charged so i used the phone for another 20 minutes and then i came back and i was like all right, well, I guess we'll supercharge it again. <laughs> Except this time, sparks went everywhere <laughs> and the phone stopped turning on. Okay. So. Yeah. And how long before your parents got home uh, did you have to try and devise a plan out of this? Or I tried to blame the dog, but nobody believed me. <laughs> Yeah, it was Staten Island though, bro. Like you could have blamed uh, someone from the Wu Tang could have just dropped by. Like maybe they swung through and just messed with the phone. Why didn't you think of that? 
I mean, I don't know, maybe twelve year old me just didn't didn't have that didn't have that at the time. But yeah, so come on, you know, ODB was in the neighborhood. <laughs> he just come, uh, come knocking through, you know. So the uh, <laughs> so the 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 mantra of that story is, why would you do that, right? Um, now my my uncle, he was a database administrator for uh, an Oracle DBA for Capital One, and he um, he was like between jobs and, and moving back to India for a minute just to, you know, enjoy life for, for a second and then come back and get back to the grind. Um, and so he's leaving all of his shit at, at my dad's house or our house. Um, and he, uh, you know, the whole, like, why would you do that at this point is, has already been burned in pretty well. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm probably 12 at this point. And, and, uh, and he's, you know, he was like, Hey, you should mess with that computer while I'm, while I'm gone. And I was like, well, what if I, what if I mess it up? What if I break it? And he looked at me and he goes, you know, there's nothing you can do to that computer that I can't fix. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, I mean, he's like, well, then, you know, physically breaking it. Don't physically break it. But. Yeah. And so, yeah. But like computers back then are kind of like old cars, right? They're, a little bit easier to get into and to work on, right? Like if if I if your kid got into you know an iPad, or you know, yeah, uh, would you, would you feel as confident to say like, yeah, uh, no problem, I can fix anything that you you break in that? I mean, I feel like you sneeze wrong inside of an iPad, and it's not going to turn on anymore. Oh. But oh, shots fired <laughs> with the with the old. I mean, even even now, like the what are the what's the the Microsoft one? The Surface, the Surface Pro. Yeah, the, the RAM is soldered in, so you your your RAM goes bad. You can't change it. You gotta. Well, I mean, unless you desolder or something, you gotta get, take it somewhere and have it fixed or get a new one or something. But you know, even even just like your regular desktop computer, you can go pull the RAM out of that and replace it. Right, which bring, it brings me to kind of my point is you know. Back in the day, you know, computers were a little bit more accessible in that regard, right? You could open them up and there was a level of plug and play. And there's still computers like that now, right? Like there's tons of videos on YouTube of kids or, you know, Henry Cavill, Superman building his own uh, PC, right? Um, But there is, uh, I don't know, it do you think that kids have the same level of access that we did in terms uh, of getting to knowing the underlying technology or is there so much focus on apps and software development and things like that? Or is that the space that, you know, that kids should be getting started into? I mean, what is, what do I know? It's growing. And, and what happens when, when something that was this big now becomes this big? Well, now there's going to be little areas that become specialized, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, like the the whole app thing, it wasn't a thing back then. We didn't even have JavaScript. If you wanted, like, to, to put data in a web page, the whole web page had to reload. So nothing was dynamically changing. Mm-hmm. And anything that had something next to it was a table. You know what I mean? So it just... You're talking about like web pages back in the day, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the internet has grown and evolved for sure. Yeah. And there's no more dialing up and, and, you know, and to, to come back to your question, um, 
No, I would say it's it's more of a thing now because there's there's more hardware. And so since there's more of them, there's more competition, so they're cheaper. And there's compatibility between different boards. Like, So you have to understand, back in the day, when in order to install Linux, you used to have a hardware list. We used to have to look at this list and refer to it and make sure that we had something that was compatible with it. And in fact, there was there was a concept of a win modem. Mm-hmm. The modem didn't have enough on it to be able to dial without the Windows OS and some proprietary shit that that you know the the Unix based OSs just didn't have. So they they couldn't figure out how to work the win modems, and so you had to go get an external modem or something in order to in order to, in order for you know to dial up. So yeah, I I think they should bring back dial up just for kids though. Like I think that would be a good thing if kids had to like wait to be able to access the internet as opposed to like Wi-Fi everywhere that they have now. Like taking a tablet on a subway and like a kid can still escape. Um, don't you feel like there's a, a certain amount of struggle like? earning it that we got back in the days of dial up that kids lose out on now today because they can just open up the phone and there they are. We had to go sit in a room at a desk. We also had to go read a map. What do you mean? Go? Oh, you're talking about like maps go and like, you know, to get around trip ticks or anything like that. Maybe, maybe that was the, maybe my mom was the only person that ever did that. I don't know. Um, when you're going to go on a really long range road trip, you'd go to AAA and you'd tell them where you were going and they'd print you out the newest maps of all of everything that you're going to pass going there. So you'd have this route that was current. Yeah. I mean, no, uh, my dad was more maps go like that, or he would would just get the old school, you know, unfold it in the blazer. Yeah. Uh, you're right. It doesn't show you, you know, the, the kitschy, like, I mean, I look, I wish those kinds of, of, uh, roadside oddities were still there. Some of them are, I mean, you know, uh, but what happened to the days of the world's, you know, largest ball of yarn or, you know, wild roadside attractions that, you know, route 66 and things like that made famous. I don't know. This is starting to sound like a real old man podcast. Like any, so 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 back to technology. Yeah. Yeah. So you had asked what, what had gotten me into or what had gotten me into it. Um, well, how do you think now, like, how do you get kids into technology now without so much focus on just the, you know, Roblox, the Minecraft of it all, right? Even exactly, though Minecraft, I think exactly that's how you do it. So, oh, so I need to, I, I need to go opposite of the old man thinking and lean into uh, these kinds of programs. So, what what had gotten me into learning like Unix based operating systems and so forth is um, there's, there has to be something on the other side of it that you want to achieve. For me being able to, to, you know, I had, you know, different goals, right? I wanted to be able to IRC from a Linux box um, and and dial up directly from it. Then at some point I wanted to be able to network the two computers, like those little, uh, you know, those little desires when, when, when you fight it for a week, tooth and nail and then all of a sudden you get it it's there's this huge sense of accomplishment Mm -hmm. especially considering like you can google things now google didn't exist 
we had like dumb things like Hasta La Vista and Ask Jeeves and Lyco Search and right, yeah, yeah. I I mean the the early days of uh, internet searches were a Habdash, right? And, the information we got was shit. Well, and you didn't have YouTube uh, tutorials, oh, you know, yeah. and near unlimited volumes in some cases, depending on what you're looking at. Right. Um, so I, I guess from that perspective, especially like my kid is super into YouTube, both of them now. Right. Uh, it, you know, Stella is way more, you know, the girl stuff, makeup tutorials or like, uh, cartoons and things like that. Izzy is full on like Minecraft after Minecraft after Minecraft, right? So they're already in that world of, of going to YouTube if they're not necessarily looking for a specific like tutorial on how to do stuff. Um, you know, so much of what you did was learning on your own. Do you think... Uh, where, where does school come into the into it right or i guess for you what was the part of school that helped you level up uh in terms of your capabilities because you've also gone on beyond uh since graduating to get more certifications uh you know and learning new systems the technology's ever evolving you know I guess from your point, uh, from your perspective, where is school handy and where is DIY learning on your own handy? Oh, that is that's a loaded question. <laughs> so in, in, from my perspective, schooling is done wrong in this country. Uh, actually schooling is done wrong worldwide. Um, simply because you can't, you can't take every kid and put them in a building together and say, now you're all going to learn. Mm-hmm. You've got to take the kids that that are there to learn. And the only way you're going to see this is by actually looking at them in class and asking their teachers who are observant mm-hmm. um, and, and figuring out, like, who wants to be here? Who cares about this information? And then who can do it? And take those kids and put them in an entirely separate building. But at what level, right? We're- as, fa- as soon as you can see it. As soon as you can, see, like, as soon as you can read them and see that they care about learning that information, that they like it. Are you not seeing that in your kid's school? No. Oh, I. But, but the, the the big thing here is to not let them be around the people who don't feel that way, the people who disrupt class, the people mm-hmm. who fight, the people who uh, bully in the bathroom. Like, if you want these kids to be able to to prosper intellectually. They have to not be afraid from their own safety and for their own safety. And we treat school like a prison. Yeah. If you don't go, you, you get arrested. You, mm-hmm. you get picked up. They bring you home. Your parents get fined. We can't do that. And the goal shouldn't be to make them bigger. I don't care if your school has a stadium. You know what I mean? And it's probably terribly unpopular to say that. In Texas. Uh, yeah. Uh, especially with the start of football season. Come but on the now. Is that you don't need it. But I mean, it, it to be fair, there are kids that where sports is that passion, and there right? Should be other schools where that's the focus. And I think you're starting to see that. So now this is becoming a weird education podcast. Uh, but I will say, for uh, I have seen that there are uh, school districts that are creating those kinds of programs that are more tech STEM uh, focused, right? Uh, for those who are more art inclined steam is the preferred uh, acronym but i think uh, to your point you know uh, 
for kids to be able to to be successful, they need to get more targeted focus. Uh, I will say from my own perspective that uh, my grades improved vastly in college when I got out of the uh, the core classes that you had to get done and was more focused on my major. So learning about production, you know, putting together, uh, you know, video, audio, you know, understanding camera angles, uh, all the things that have contributed value to my, to my career. Right. But also were like you said, that spark of interest. So, uh, for you, obviously it was a fairly early on that you had this spark of interest. I've seen it in schools. It's there, but the getting back to my initial question for parents, what do you think is the first good stepping stone or what should they recognize in their kid that it's more than an obsession with the bright lights of a tablet or phone or, you know, video game platform. And it's something more, it's more about the technology and understanding and, you know, how do you foster and encourage that? So, so coming back to your, the, the question you had asked right before that, um, you, um, you let them guide you. So I like that. Much to my dismay, Miles is much go- like he is almost definitely going to do something involving insects. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we have to yell at him to keep bees out of his room. Like that's that's pretty unique to him. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> my kids do not like they don't have any of this now. Uh, if there are some, you know, stray cats in the neighborhood that, you know, Stella might try and scoop one up, but, uh, I don't have the insect or like critter, maybe a frog frog can make it. Uh, has he like creeped up on you with one of these, these insects constantly? <laughs> I have to, I have to make sure like if he's quiet, if he comes in from outside and he's quiet and he gets to those stairs and then I like try to check on him and he he runs and doesn't like immediately turn around. I know it's because he has something and he's going to try to go hide it before I get there so that he can keep it. But do you, did you get him a, I mean, does he have the terrarium or the whatever? the he bu- has, like, the three terrariums, but the problem is that he doesn't want them in the terrarium. He wants to let them around his room. <laughs> and I kid you not, I don't know how he's done it, but he legitimately has tamed them. Like they'll, they'll just climb on him. They won't sting him. And you know, everybody is like, Oh yeah, but you know what? They're going to, they'll, they'll sting him eventually. And then he'll learn his lesson. This kid's been stung a good number of times, but, but is it just bees or is it all kinds of like insects and bugs and creepy crawlies? Bees and wasps specifically. Um, Mud daubers are, are, are pretty quick. And so it's rare that he catches one of them. It's mostly those red paper wasps that we have a bunch of that are supposedly the most aggressive. Um, in all honesty, he, he has at least two or three every day that he plays with outside, that he'll grab and like do stuff with outside. And he's only maybe been stung five times. So he's figured something out. And, I mean, it might just be beating them in the head enough times that they're brain dead <laughs> before he grabs them. But, I mean, he, he, he gets them, and he puts them on other hives that he's collected, and they seem to be like, all right, this is cool. I'm good with this. So to your point, you know, if 
your kid is starting to tinker around or, you know, take apart various electronics, that may be an interest in the hardware aspect or, you know, if they're older, uh, they're starting to play around with coding or, or looking into that or asking about it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but now picking up on this, uh, your, your kid's interest in, in bees and wasps. First, it sounds like he is going to be part of the group of humans that help save us. Right. Because aren't the bees in trouble right now? Um, yeah. You know what? I, I was reading something about that because we were talking about the hive abandonment thing, right? I, I don't know like specifics. I just know that, you know, there, there's concerns with the weather and the, the lack. Uh, I guess there's been a diminishment in the population of bees. Uh, and those who are, are beekeepers have seen uh, some sort of diminishment in the uh, maybe the production. Or I, I don't know. I just know that there is a lot of concern about the survival of bees and the uh, vital role that they play in the ecosystem in terms of being pollinators. But there's a lot of bugs that are pollinators. Um, in any case, uh, what I really want to get to is the fact that aren't you kind of by, uh, by kind of tamping down a little bit, I know you're encouraging as much as you can, but you're like, your weirdness about his deal with bees, like you're now Mr. Backyard agro farmer. Like, isn't that kind of against your self-interest? Don't you need a little like beekeeper to help you be able to pollinate? And, you know, eventually when you've got a full grown garden of, I don't know what you're growing, corn, okra, radishes, what, like, man, I just don't want to go into anaphylactic shock. Like, I, I stepped in the wrong place and, and got mauled by a thousand bees that he knew was there. And, you know, it just, it's like the dog's been stung. Like, there's, okay. there's no reason for to encourage these things to be there. Okay, so there, there warrants uh, so, some taming uh, of the passion and fervor. Work, so uh, uh, I, the great friend that I am in 20 years, I still don't actually know what your job title is. I know kind of what you do, but uh, for the folks listening at home, what is your job title or how would you describe your your actual job? I think the official title is a senior Linux engineer. Um, and it, I mean, for anybody who actually works in the, in the space, uh, it's more of a, uh, an infrastructure engineer. Um, some people want to call it DevOps. Um, but basically you, do you get to wear camo if you call it DevOps? Do you, or do you do the, like the, the, the camo face when you're like working on, on DevOps every single time? Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the lights have to always be off. Off? Yeah. Well, you, you don't you don't have like a red light you kick on when you're oh, like, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the, yeah, red yeah. Light. the red light goes outside, though. It's so people know not to come in. There you go. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, that's enough sarcasm for me. <laughs> okay. So uh, you, uh, you've told me a few stories, I guess. Uh, uh, well, basic first, understanding. Can I tell you what that is? Or? Yeah. I mean, basic okay. understanding. What do all those words put together boil down to your day-to-day -day function? So you've got, you've got people who write applications and, and, uh, and things that your company uh, sells. Right. But, 
there's kind of a segment between uh, or a partition between development and then everything else. So you'll find somebody who can write a program, but you ask them to deploy that program and, and they have no idea what you're talking about. Because beyond just running it on their own laptop, they're, they're just they're like, well, I just check it in from here and that's it. And the reason that they can be so blissfully ignorant of the rest of the process is because, you know, what we do is we, um, the, the, the ongoing uh, phrase is trying to automate yourself out of a job. Um, and, and back in the day before automation became a thing, it was uh, whether you could replace them with a Perl script. Um, so like a simple program, right? Yeah, um, uh, th this is where you start to lose people. Okay. And so so with the, the, the automation, right, is like, okay, so I bring up, uh, I bring up a server or, or actually let me, let me try to correlate it to a computer, but it's really a server. Let me just correlate it to your desktop. Mm -hmm. So your desktop comes up and you want uh, After Effects to open automatically. But then not only do you want it to open automatically, but you want it to load a specific profile and then do a specific task and then save that to, to, to a file, right? In, in server terms, it would be like, I want you to install a web server, install this programming language, download this code, and then start this web server, right? Um, or in their case, you know, start this Golang app. Um, so to keep them from having to care about the rest of that, what we do is we write code that, that's uh, triggered based on their actions. So like you've submitted code to this one repository and I see that you did that. Well, not me personally, the, the automation sees it. Okay, but who is submitting code, right? And is code code for some something? Some developer right. writes some, some uh, Golang code or some C and, and then is done and then pushes it somewhere so that if his laptop ever blows up that it's still saved somewhere. So you're not uh, you're not talking about someone that specifically uh, like a, the average user, right? Like you're talking about this guy the, works as a developer for a company. So that's your main customer base. Yeah. Okay. So in in this case, I have internal customers, right? Um, and which is nice because in previous jobs, when you have external customers and you know they'll call up and put in tickets and all that other nonsense with internal customers. Um, it's more of a, a project-based thing. Like, hey, this is what we need. And then you just figure out the rest and then they agree or disagree and so forth. Um, but so, so, you know, the developer would, would push code and, and uh, the thing that he's storing that code in um, can be told to trigger something else. And from there, I have an entry point and I can write pretty much any language that I want to do whatever I want it to do. And the normal use case is like, okay, so you, you, you gave us code, you submitted the code. Let me make sure that it compiles. Let me run. There's a thing called a delinter and it just makes sure you don't put, um, it makes sure that you have a, a good, a high enough coding standard. Like, um, what can I compare it to? Shit. Um, it's just a base level of requirements that aren't really technically necessary but you should do it this way because otherwise it gets confusing. Right. Uh, I'm already confused. Already confused. Yes. Okay. So, so we, we, <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. How about this? We write Let's, the automation that makes the thing come up so they don't have to know how to do it. Okay. Excellent. Which uh, brings me to uh, my next point uh, or question. <laughs> <laughs> so 
part of your job is writing that automation, yeah. right? But also, is it part of your job uh, fixing something when that automation doesn't work? Uh, you know, yeah, it, I mean, or at least in the past, you've had to, you know, uh, get in the middle of some pretty hairy situations, you know, and, and bring major websites back. Uh, I mean, uh, how does something like that work? And, you know, well, I see where you're going with this, um, but that's not this current job. It's a previous job. Um, and so, um, I mean, there's no way to really shim that in unless you want me to just try to <laughs> tell the story here. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm bad at the transitions. Yeah. But first answer the question. Your job is writing the automation, but also you jump in and fix things when they break. Of course, right. Of course, because things don't necessarily always follow the same, the same pattern because uh, I mean, really with, with anything like that, the whole key is there has to be a pattern. And if there's a pattern, we can write something around it to make that whole thing flow. But sometimes something is there that's not supposed to be, or like the, the drive is about to die. So it becomes read only. And so now when you try to write stuff, it doesn't write um, things that aren't expected happen quite often. And that's why I don't think that we're all going to be replaced by chat GPT. Uh, you opening so many doors that we could go into, uh, pinning t- tangent for later. Yeah. Um, is, so obviously, uh, you know, the average user does experience that moment when things don't work the way that they're supposed to. Right. Um, you know, uh, how much for a company like Facebook, what would you estimate their, like their, the size of their team is to address average, you know, things that go wrong, like average bugs. So when you hit Facebook, when you hit that size, um, it's, yeah, there's, there's so many complexities. Like I remember there was, um, they, are so big and they have to replicate their data so fast that they run into very edge case situations. Like I, I remember there was some problem with how fast uh, their database was able to replicate because of, of like how quickly that data needs to be available. Just because somebody posted in Hungary, uh, you know, somebody in North America needs to be able to see it quickly, but it, there's a lot of data. There's a lot coming in very quick. And for mm-hmm. all of those things to sync together, how do you know which one wins? Who came first? What if it gets changed? Like all of these things have to be accounted for. And so when you start getting to that level, you start ringing into really weird edge cases. And so the the people that you need are, are literally experts in just that one thing. You know what I mean? And that comes mm-hmm. back to what we were talking about earlier. Like it's not just computers anymore. You have people who are DBA database specialists and they know everything about how each of those intricate pieces work. And it becomes necessary because sometimes you get in situations where you're like, oh, this website's not working. Oh, well, it's because you're using MyISM and not, uh, you know, and, and you're using you're using the wrong database engine. You're using MyISM, which locks the entire table instead of just row-level locking. You know what I mean? They, like, they have to know that. And so they have to be somebody who, this is their area. Because if you take somebody with general knowledge, they're not going to know it. Mm-hmm. Well, and technology is 24-7, right? There is no... Uh, unplugging the internet, right? Uh, there's no uh, midnight screen of an American flag and the uh, Star Spangled Banner playing or America the Beautiful and then, you know, the color bars come on. 
And then we turn the sign around God. and it says, we'll be back tomorrow, 6 a.m. Why do I keep turning this into the oldest man in the world podcast? Like, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's just ge- being just, around you. Just make like, an old Western and, and cut it out already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to do a collab with uh, Clint Eastwood. Mm. Him and I are is, is going to. Too late for that one, unfortunately. Uh, oh, why you gotta be that way? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You're the one that brought up AI. You know, we can, we can bring it <laughs> we, back. We can. We can bring it back to that. Oh my gosh. So, uh, yeah. Sorry. The, the technology 24 seven things break and fail. Uh, and the story I wanted you to uh, talk about. Uh, that's all this podcast is. It's me just getting my friends to recount my favorite stories they've ever <laughs> told me. Um, the story uh, relates to a very significant uh, uh, natural weather event that happened and uh, you getting this random call to help bring this uh, very important website back online. Right. And so, uh, you know, for, for the average, you know, person, they just, you know, like you said, automate, yourself out of a job right we just think everything works peachy keen right and that it you know especially when it relates to website you know you're talking about facebook at scale right and we i'm so dumb i think well it's just a website is a website right you put it on the uh, on the thing the cloud thing and it you know lives everywhere and everyone can access it right you know um but we won't get delve into my ignorance on that but you know, for, for people who don't understand, uh, when these major events happen, you know, be it a major weather event and people are trying to get in touch with loved ones or, or provide support or, you know, uh, just a major cultural event, like the, the people who have to jump in behind the scenes and all hours of the night, like you're, you're someone that this story isn't going to get told anywhere other than on a podcast like this right which is kind of the point of this podcast too is that i do have uh friends who have these incredible stories that you know i i think are just woven into the fabric of what our existence is right now and so to shine a light on something like this just tell everyone the story so i can stop rambling thank god (laughs) um so Okay, so, you know, there was a, a tsunami that hit Somalia um, several years back. and uh, Was it Somalia? I'm pretty sure it was Somalia. Oh, I, I thought it was Thailand. No, I'm pretty sure it was Somalia. Okay, then I'm thinking of a different tsunami. Okay, continue. Um, and so, uh, the uh, you know, I, I wouldn't have expected it, but the American Red Cross website actually gets, I mean, uh, to, to play with the word, the tsunami uh, as well. Um it was at the time, you know, normally it doesn't get very much traffic. It was, it was like a one web server kind of set up. And at the time I worked for, uh, for this company and I, I was, I did manage hosting. And so they were a customer. Um, and so unfortunately I was on the hook for, for trying to, to actually get it back online. But what do you do when the problem is that there's so many people who need help at the same time that they're genuinely flooding your website offline? Um, there's nothing in front of it. Like blocking, blocking the traffic isn't going to do anything other than stopping people from getting what they're looking for, which was just information about what to do. Um, and so 
in that situation, we didn't, we weren't using virtualization there. That's not what they paid for. It's not what they had. Right. Um, so what they had was a physical setup. So it was a physical server. Don't, don't get me wrong. It was a pretty beefy server. It could handle quite a bit, but not what it was getting. And the complexity of going from two to three, fine, no problem. Like the complexity of going from one to two, oh man, I've got to rewrite some of your shit. Um, simply because yeah, all the everything has to be read off of the same storage device, right? So, how do I do that if 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 it's just one server? You know what I mean? And so, well, and a, a put into perspective, like, do you recall what the like? average use was on the website versus this peak I mean, moment pretty pretty low it was it was relative you know i mean one server was was just fine what what is one server average traffic mm. do you have something you could compare it to is there any- i don't but let's just say like uh 20 or 30 concurrent users at a time okay it's not it wasn't much but now we're talking about thousands at a time and so the the amount is just astronomically different, and there's nothing I can do to this this server to make it better. I can't add more RAM and make it better. It's just so much so much more than it, it could do that it was ridiculous. So what I ended up having to do, and it was great because at the time, um, the company that I was working for, like I said, had had a managed services de- or a managed hosting department, but the 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 roles within that department were segmented. There was networking, there was database specialist, and like so you could buy that specialist, right? You could buy their time. But they had just kind of done some consolidation and kind of got rid of the networking people and then put everybody else in, in, in one one group. And so, um, you know, I, I had to kind of reverse engineer this network topology to figure out where I need a DC tech to plug in a load balancer. And the problem here is if you plug in a network device. Wait, you're, you were remote trying to figure out how to tell someone on the ground at what a server farm at a data center. Yeah. Okay. Uh, What are they trying to plug in? They're trying to figure out. So, so I, obviously the first thing I'm going to need is a load balancer. And what that thing does is, um, as you go to the website, it decides which server has the least amount of traffic or whichever metric you make it do it on. Um, and then it'll send you to that one and it'll keep you stuck to that one for your whole, for the duration of you coming to it. Mm-hmm. And the reason it'll do that is because if you log in and then I send you to another server, you might not be logged in over here or their sessions might not be connected. So it just, it makes it easier to do it that way. Um, and so I needed him to connect a load balancer so that I could then set up another server or another couple servers, and then share some storage between them, and then load balance all of the incoming traffic between all of those servers. But there's no virtualization in this at like at this point. So mm-hmm. it was, uh, and I don't mean in existence. I just mean they weren't using it because um, the situation could have been a lot easier, but it just wasn't because they weren't expecting that to happen. It wasn't. Yeah, and what year is this? Year you'd have to look up when the Somali when the tsunami hit Somalia. Uh, ballpark. Yeah, I mean, I worked for, I worked for the planet, so it was probably at least sixteen years ago. Okay, that gives me roughly when I can look. Because the the other thing I'm curious about is, you know, so 
It's the middle of the night when this happens. When when does this? Yeah, of course, of course, it's gonna happen at like eleven o'clock. Okay. I mean, All right, and it's uh, not necessarily when the tsunami hit, but it's when I got the call that this was going on. Right, right, and well, and so you know, you get the call that the this goes down, and you're. Uh, how long did it take you first to figure out like what was wrong? Um. So first, um. I think what I noticed was that it was just repeatedly offline. And so what I what I first did was I just blocked all the traffic and then I got into it um, so that nothing else could hit it, so that I could be like, what are you doing? And start looking at the log. And is there anything you can do at that point? Like their entire, like any American Red Cross webpage is, is done. Like you can't access it. Mm, so it's specifically the when www.americanredcross.com website. Okay, and, and so and any sub page off of that root URL right. is done, right? Uh, when you when you take that down, is, is there any way to put up a you know, sorry folks, under no. construction? It's just no, it's just sits and spins because you you can't like you're trying to connect to it, and everything just has to time out the whole way there, right? But and like, you know, uh, emergency officials trying to get to a traffic accident on a highway. Right. You have to block off all that traffic mm-hmm. just so you can get in there to uh, to poke around to figure out what's going on with it. You know, uh-huh. like because I, I at the time, you know, you try to log into the thing and you can't get to it either because they're getting hit so hard that you can't get to that. You know, you can't get through their firewall to their server either. So, yeah. um so, I, you know, I, I look at the logs and I see that it's like legitimate looking requests and, you know, you check the news and you're like, oh, shit, okay, tsunami, this is this could actually be legitimate. Like, maybe it's not, you know, maybe they didn't just piss somebody off and not, they're not getting just attacked. They're actually... Like, so they, you have to consider that as yeah, well. Because if it's, if it's just you're just getting attacked, then why am I going to do that? Why are you going to spend the money to, to set up more servers to try to handle bogus traffic? If it's legitimate people looking for like legitimately trying to find your stuff, Mm -hmm. then you'd want to spend the money and service that. Right. Yeah. If you're, you know, have thousands of people wanting to donate and contribute to the cause, you know, especially many as big as the American Red Cross deals with. So you, you get in there about how long does it take you to figure out, you know, uh, what's going on or, you know, are you, are you triaging? First of all, is this legitimate? Okay. It is what's happening. How do I, how quickly does it take you to, uh, figure out, you know, start figure out your road to fixing this? Well, I've first, I've got to figure out like, is it just, is it the hardware? Because I mean, if you have bad Ram, your, your server is going to freeze and it may not just reboot. It may just freeze. Um, and so you've got a power cycle to get it back and so forth. And so, you know, being remote, like not in front of the server itself, um, there's a lot of things that it could be. And I can't really tell much from where I am if I can't get into it. So there's this thing called a, an iDRAC. Um, and what it does is it lets you see, like as if you were standing in front of the computer with a monitor pl- plugged in, you can see the screen. I can power cycle it. I can do all sorts of crap to it. You can even configure it to have its own network card so that you can do stuff to the NIC on the server and not have to worry about losing connectivity. So this thing is is amazing. It's also called Remote Hands and Eyes or KVM. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to rely on it a lot because the, the type of people that you put in a data center role 
um, the one you're going to get for like, hey, go plug this in or hey, do this. It's not going to be somebody who's awesome. You're going to get like the newer people. Okay. Um, so, so when you say they're not awesome, they could have fire personalities, but in terms of their experience in the data server systems world, they're, they're noobs. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, they may have worked there for a long time and just not progressed, but <laughs> Uh, I, just to get the understanding of the type of person we're dealing with here. I feel like you are putting so much I'm, weight. I'm gonna, or you, maybe I'm just interpreting so you, much. You'll understand here in a minute. You'll, okay. you'll understand. Okay. So so as we get there, right, you, you know, where I'm like, I know what I need at this point. Now I've got to figure out where I need to tell this guy to plug it in. Because if I give him too much, um, if I give him too much like leeway to figure it out, he's going to get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And if he gets it wrong, I don't have any way other uh, like any way of knowing other than it just doesn't work. So at this point, I'm, I'm you know still relatively new to dealing with the like the routers on this scale because the routers that like in a place this big are, are they're, they're bigger than me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's not like the little one that sits on your shelf. This is yeah. an actual data center, and so these are these are customer access routers, right? And so. I've got to make sure that, you know, that we have to add a switch so that the thing can hang off of an aggregate switch. And then the, the scary thing is that um, with a lot of home routers, it's not a big deal. Um, but if you're in like a large network and, and you plug in a network a networking device twice on the same VLAN, you're going to do this thing called a, a, a broadcast loop. I believe that's what it's called. But what happens is it, 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 it like each port claims it has these specific MAC addresses and it'll keep doing it as much as it can until it takes the whole network down. And now one of the, and that's terrifying because it's a whole, whole customer network. Um, right. And a reminder that this isn't people trying to, you know, buy Taylor Swift tickets. These are folks that are trying to donate to victims of this horrific tsunami, right. Mm-hmm. That are trying to get in and actually, uh, you know, support a good cause. Uh, and so, uh, how 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 long are you you working on this? You know, you know the the part that took me the longest was that. So just to make sure that I didn't take the entire networking you know stuff down, uh, I I had put um, some safeguards on on the switches, and I had set it to to make sure that like if it if it saw a broadcast loop, it would error disable the port. Um, it sucks because I could lose access to the whatever the thing is that I'm working on, but it's safer than taking down the whole network and then getting in trouble for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I had set that and I, I noticed it did it twice. And so I was like, okay, so something's wrong here. You're, you're not connecting it where you're saying you're connecting it. And he's like, well, you know, uh, oh, well, I guess I should back up, right? So I'm having a load balancer put in and I, I get this, this, this one DC tech who begrudgingly helps me. Yeah. Um, so I get him to the aisle and, you know, he's, he's plugging it in and he says, okay, it's plugged in. And I'm like, no, it can't be because, uh, I went error disabled. And if you plugged it into this, then I wouldn't have been error disabled. I would have had, I would have been connected. And he's like, look, I plugged it into the port you told me to plug it into. And I was like, okay, but I don't think you did. And so in searching for it, I can figure out like, I had to log into a couple of things above and below the switch that I was trying to get him to plug it into to figure out where he put it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, dude. I'm like, you put it in this switch. I need you to put it in the one right above it on the same port. And so he does it. And so now I'm connected. 
And he's like, you know, okay. And and so now I'm like, okay, I need you to rack that other server and then have to go through this whole process and I'll, I'll skip all that. But um, he gets it racked and, um, you know, and I, I set up the file system and, and configure the load balancer and it's all set up and now their website's online. Everybody's happy. So a couple of days later, um, you know, I get I get a message from, or I get a, a ticket from, from the, the customer and they're like, hey, we noticed that Every now and then, when you refresh, it doesn't it doesn't actually go. Is it still because we're so close to the brink of being flooded that that like we're missing one every now and then, or what? And so I go back and I look, and and at this point everything had kind of leveled off, and and so they were handling the traffic adequately. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, all right, well, you know, I was like, no, that doesn't make sense. It's like you know, it works fine for me. And that's another famous, you know, thing from, from our industry. Well, it works for me. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm pinging the thing and then all of a sudden I start seeing it. I start noticing like every like fifth or sixth packet will just disappear. And I'm like, well, that's not normal. So I look at the, the nicks on the, on the, the cards and I notice there's like, um, so there's errors, carriers and something else. And you can kind of get an idea. Is it, is it the network card going bad? Is it the cable going bad? Like, what is it? So I start troubleshooting and I end up at the load balancer. I'm like, how the hell is the load balancer? What's going wrong here? And so I ask, you know, I'm like, Hey, this other DC tech who actually is really good. And I've worked with previously. I was like, can you go look at this and just see if there's something wrong? Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay. And so he goes, he goes, uh, you know, over there and he comes back and he goes, okay. He goes, so I'm going to tell you what your problem is. And I was like, okay, tell me. And he goes, this moron used a 100-foot cable to do a one-inch run. So that means he used a 100-foot-long Ethernet cable yeah. to go from here to here. And then he took the excess and he threw it on the top of the rack. So the reason that we were... <laughs> so you're, you're going back to, I don't know how how long ago when we had the initial comment, uh, your, your vitriol toward, uh, these on the ground folks is more toward this one specific individual. This is just one story. Okay. DC techs are notorious for this shit. Oh, okay. So yeah. you're, you're, this isn't I'm just expressing a field wide anger toward this one specific position because we always get the same one. You always <laughs> get the same type of guy. Okay, uh, and, and so that w- that ended up being the uh, mystery solved on why you were having that. Well, there was like like cuts taken out of the cable, and like it was it was a it was like an emergency cable that you're supposed to use temporarily for just a few minutes, and he left it on there, and like that's not what you should have done. What you should have done is gone and made a cable real quick that was this big and plugged it in. Do you have. <laughs> You have rolls of Ethernet cable. You can cut one and crimp it in, in just a minute. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, uh, understanding the level of frustration that you felt, I'm going to go back it took to the me days. <laughs> days. How long did it take you to fix this uh, when the site went down? When the site went down, it was. What sucks is that it was it was probably midnight and it was like a Friday or something, and I remember being pretty annoyed about it because. I think I was supposed to. I was supposed to go out at the time, mm-hmm. and I couldn't go out because it 
I had gotten the call just as we were about to leave. Wow. You're really making our, our, our generation look great. Okay. You were upset. How long though? Like, oh, sorry, sorry that everybody else needs my time. How about that? <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, uh, and yeah. to the victims of this tsunami oh, uh, and I'm their sorry. families, sorry. we continue to remember right. that yes. there are <laughs> much greater things. But yes, I get it. Uh, a, a kid in his 20s in Houston, uh, you know, wants to go and do these things. How friggin' long? Well, you got the call probably- to. I'd say I probably got a call around 11 o'clock and I would say that it was probably three in the morning by the time I was done. So uh, a, a significant amount of time. I'll have to go back and look uh, and see uh, more details on that or if we can find how much they ultimately raised or if the uh, information is even available. But it does speak to the importance of, uh, you know, the tech uh, field and why, like, even then, you know, uh, something like that happening has uh, huge consequences. And now we see it today with how in- ingrained our technology is uh, that it, even still the those consequences when technology doesn't work have greater and greater implications. Um I guess as we get ready, ready to wrap up here, uh, we didn't talk about any of the topics we were supposed to talk about. I I know, which is uh, why you keep going. You then, keep bringing you people cut. back. Okay, so you should you should keep. We should just keep going, and then you should cut it, and then you can cut it however the hell you want. If you make multiple shows out of it, great. If not, whatever. Oh, uh, okay. So you you want to make more work for me, uh, so you can have less time, and you can go back to saving the world. Look, this and is gold. One- <laughs> okay, I am giving you literal gold right now. Okay. That's right. right. Literal literal gold. Okay. 